You're listening to the Saturday Morning D&D Show with Jordan, the PH is silent, and Sir Lucian. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another wonderful episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan, with a silent PH in the middle, and I am joined by two wonderful people. One is my co-host, Sir Lucian, over there at Sir Lucian Gaming, and the second is a longtime friend of the show, and, well, just friend in general, is Lex from (laughs) Dank Dungeons, here to talk about all things... Uh, a zag today, which is going to be very exciting. Hello, Lex. How are you? Hi, I'm quite well. How are you doing? I'm doing. We well, have a million you. questions. I hope you're ready with a million answers. Wow, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so we're very excited to have you guys here. Uh, we're we realize that Van Richten's Guide is out now, and so uh, you're probably like, well, this is the show where they're going to talk all about Van Richten's Guide, and uh, that probably won't happen, uh, mostly because we have a guest on, but we. If you were curious about that, I did a, a live stream actually when when uh, YouTube decided to stop showing videos. So there was like I went from I think I had a hundred people watching, and then I and then people were like I lost the stream. People were tweeting at me, and I went back and looked, and I had three people watching. But those three people mm-hmm. were like, "Well, it's still working for me," and I'm like, "All right." But uh, I do kind of a flip through, and we do some stuff there. You can check it out. There's lots of other people online, or just go get the book. It's really fun. Um, but and we talked about it a lot. Yeah, we actually did talk about it a lot <laughs> today. last week. Because yeah, yeah. uh, pretty much the entire book was already out, is what I, what I yeah. think. <laughs> uh, but, Mr. Lex, uh, you are a tabletop RPG designer, should I say that? Uh, sure, do you, yeah. Do you feel that way? <laughs> I Well, yeah, no, I mean, I've sold a bunch of stuff. Uh, I've, I'm a best-selling author on the DMs Guild. Uh, I have also done some independent things, and this project was the first time I actually did a game, but I've done lots of rules mechanics prior to that. So, okay. yeah, sure. I think that's no, a I fair like thing. Do you have a tattoo, though, that says dungeon, des- you know, or game uh, designer, wait, just to be on. sure? <laughs> yeah. no. secret, secret handshake, can you tell yes, us what that is? I can't show it on air, sorry. I can't. <laughs> it would, yeah, no, uh, Twitch bans feet, so I can't. Oh, no, I'm sorry. got it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and shame. so things that you've worked on before, uh, a joy to monster cooking, which is on the DMs guild, mm-hmm. um, which is really fun. And then, uh, unless the, you're a monster, I'm sure I shouldn't say, well, Azag is really good, but like, I loved the shifting city. I thought that was one of the most creative, cool <laughs> things. And that was the first time that you worked on a RPG product that actually had the, uh, the audio component of it. Yes. So, yes. Um, tell us about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. I was basically inspired by um, this, this uh, what are they called? Like a label, I guess, on Bandcamp called HDK or Heimet der Catastrophe. They're like European, okay. I don't know. Um, but they their whole deal is that they uh, put out a an album. They, they go find a musician, uh, have them make a dungeon synth album, and then they also find a writer or an artist, and they pair that person with the musician, or in some cases, it's somebody doing all the parts of it. Uh, and then they release the thing, uh, and you can download it digitally, or you can buy it as a cassette, of which I have some. Oh, that's cool. Right that's here. Really cool. <laughs> so, so this one is also in German. Excursion in das Hergelgrab Labyrinth. Uh, the the actual text of the thing is not in German, but it's just the name. But it's cool because they take it, you open up the little slipcover thing, and it's uh, it folds out into a little adventure that you can oh, play. Oh, that's cool! Um, and it's like full of art and stuff. 
so yeah, they have a bunch of these. And I remember seeing them online and being like, wow, that's like the coolest goddamn thing I've ever seen. <laughs> so uh, so I ordered a couple of them and I bought a bunch of them digitally as well. So I have like all those files on my computer. But I was like, I want to do something like this. Maybe not this exactly, uh, but something similar. And that's what the Shifting Cities idea was born out of. Okay. Uh, that and the fact that I had a lot of friends who play 5e, but also who play different OSR games and other stuff. And I was like, oh, I want to make like a system agnostic product so that everyone can potentially play it and like insert it in their games. And that's basically what the Shifting City became, which for those who don't know, Dungeons and Soundtrack, uh, I don't remember how many pages it is. It's like 30, 20 yeah. something pages uh, of a system agnostic RPG zine. And it's a setting so it's the shifting city, which is a city that shifts between dimensions. Um, so you can plop it into whatever kind of fantasy game you're running. Um, and it's just a city of like um, merchants and oligarchs and thieves guilds that are like constantly fighting each other for control. And the book gives a lot of information on how to generate a thieves guild or an oligarch and also how to generate a thieves guild hideout in case you want to like try to explore it or like steal from them or something mm. and how to generate a an oligarch mansion in case you mm. want to you know steal from them or something um yeah and it's all system agnostic yeah. so you can sort of throw it into any rpg it's just very goofy and odd i think like the, a lot of the generative options are things like oh the the oligarch's place has uh i always forget what the options are uh has like slimes that serve as their maid staff because slimes <laughs> like eat refuse in dungeon places so the they're tamed by these rich people to like eat all their trash and stuff and clean their mansions <laughs> yeah all the dust uh, in here <laughs> mm -hmm. and the uh, we all wish that we had a cube to just go around the house My um, cleaning cube. but uh yeah the fantasy Roomba, but I, uh, we, you should build. We should build uh, Roomba outfits, and one of them can be a little gelatinous cube that sits on top. of the <laughs> Oh, that would be great! That's, Funko Pop, get on yeah, it! That's, yeah, there you go. It. Come on, that's money right there. <laughs> yeah, and like the thieves guilds include things like um, the the main uh, room where they discuss their stuff is like uh, a bubble of air sitting at the bottom of like a gigantic shark tank or something like deep underground in their thieves hideout. So yeah, it's like goofy high magic, uh, stuff like that. But super fun because, uh, I, I guess I love that as a dungeon master and this would definitely be for somebody who wants to run a game. It's system agnostic, but yeah. And so you're running something you're like, Oh, I want to put this in there. But the idea that I could roll randomly many different times, and mm -hmm. uh, I and like have a completely different adventure with these guys as opposed to my other group. And they're like, yeah, you're good. You're going to go here. Um, yeah. It's so it's not just a linear um, adventure. Like you're just mm -hmm. kind of creating it and having and fun and running around this city that you built, which is cool. Yeah. And one of the things I was really worried about when I was making it is that the tables would be too complicated. Like people would have too hard a time using them. So then I also used them to generate an adventure, a heist adventure. And then that's at the end of the book. So you can play through it as it is meant to be done um, and hopefully get a better idea by example of like how everything works. Um, but yeah, and I made and all the music is um, like I said, it's dungeon synth. It's a little synth wavy because I listen to a lot of that, so it has a lot of uh, influence on my work. Um, but it's like every chapter of the book has a song associated with it. 
Um, and they're just instrumental and they're meant to kind of like set the mood. So as you're reading the book, you can listen to it and like get an idea of like the flavor of the place and the things that are happening and the kind of vibe you should try and go with when you run the setting. That's cool. And then uh, jumping forward, you created a whole tabletop RPG game. Um, that's like a big jump, isn't it? <laughs> like, it is was. Crazy? <laughs> it was so much work. Yeah. Um, no, it's uh, it was. Yeah, I really wanted to do it. And I was like, oh, uh, I'll take the the fighting fantasy or advanced fighting fantasy system, which was made in the 80s by Steve Jackson and Ian Livingston uh, originally for their uh, like um, adventure game books like Warlock of Firetop Mountain. Um, I'll take that system and I'll look at the the book from 89 in which they actually fleshed it out as like an RPG and I'll just hack that. And it, it'll be easy because I'm just hacking a system that exists. That's like really straightforward. And in certain ways, I guess it was easier than making I mean, something. You from have scratch. a base, I guess. So that's yeah. Nice, but uh, but man, it was. I think my original, like we started it in like November or early December, I think. And my original deadline was like, oh, I'll have this done by like the end of February. It'll be great. It'll be fine. And then it didn't actually come out until like the beginning of May. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That's still uh, a a good timeline in my opinion, but yeah. uh, Cause yeah, Uh, it's a lot. Uh, Why? So for those of don't know fighting fantasy, correct? mm -hmm. Uh, Fighting fantasy was a kind of a choose your own adventure RPG where you'd like read a book, but roll dice to Mm -hmm. like, and then your character could finish that book, that adventure. And then you could have a character go to a different book. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a choose your own adventure, but dice determine like what path you're taking basically, basically. So, and then they fleshed it out into a full game. It wasn't just this, Mm -hmm. uh, like you said, but why, why fighting fantasy? Like when you were talking about it, like, uh, or why use that as the basis? So was it something you were interested in or, I was curious. Uh, I was interested in it. I think I had read or I had heard about Troika, which is yes. does the same thing. It takes the fighting fantasy engine and makes a game out of it. Um, and I had been reading that and I hadn't realized it was based off an old game system. And then I looked into that and I was like, oh, yeah, this old game system is great because it's very it's very straightforward, but it's also like very flexible. So it's like a 2D6 system. Um it's it uh, it's not like powered by the apocalypse, the more modern two d six system, right? In that it does have binary fail states, so you either succeed or you fail. Uh, but it is basically just rolling two d six and either doing an opposed roll where someone else, like a monster or something, is rolling two d six and you're adding a bonus and they're adding a bonus. You're trying to see who gets a higher roll, uh, or uh, you're doing a saving throw or like a skill check equivalent where there is a set. DC that you know is between 1 and 12 and you're rolling 2d6 and trying to get under that uh and yeah I just was like wow it's so simple and elegant and really stands the test of time in a way that a lot of games don't Mm. like I love a lot of the old uh TSR stuff I love a lot of um uh, the Palladium games for, <laughs> uh, for 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 almost only aesthetic reasons at this point, because a lot of those rules don't hold up at all. Like they're very clumsy uh, in terms of modern game design. But uh, Fighting Fantasy, the like the 1989 book, I was reading through it and I'm like, there's some stuff I would change in here, but a lot of the core mechanics like super solid and very much would work today. So, I mean, that's the same thing Daniel Sell was thinking when he made Troika, but I, who am I to argue, right? 
You designed a game. That's who you are to argue now. Yeah, now I guess. <laughs> uh-huh. um, so for so yeah. somebody who's thinking about buying, what's the what's the clientele? What's the perfect customer for this game at this point? Because we know, you know, tabletop role-playing game can fit a lot of genre, can fit a lot of tastes. A lot of different people can like certain ones and not maybe like other ones. Who do you think is your perfect customer for this? Um, so I think it's someone who really wants a, uh, stripped down system where they can like interpret things in different ways. Uh, maybe you want to get away from games that are crunchier, right. But you still want to have a little bit of that crunch. Like Mm -hmm. one of the things I put into this game was I kept the core mechanic, which is very straightforward. And then a lot of these, the abilities and things that you could get and a lot of the item, uh, traits and stuff. Uh, are like little subsystems that you're essentially like plugging into the main mechanics. Uh, you know, actually not too dissimilar to a, what, the way 5e approaches uh, class archetypes, really, but a lot simpler. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, just this idea that you can be like, oh, the base game is very simple and you can learn that very, very quickly and very, very easily. Uh, and then depending on how you want to spec your character, you can make it more complex in whatever direction you want to go in. Uh, so I think if that's something you appreciate in games, then that this is definitely the kind of game for you. Uh, in terms of genre and setting, if you like the pulps, specifically your boy, Robert E. Howard and Conan stuff. Uh, right I'm behind you, your poster. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I know that no one has ever tried to make an RPG that references Conan before. <laughs> I'm really a trailblazer in that respect. Yeah. Wow. But no, uh, <laughs> sorry, Modiphius. No, we, we're not talking. Yeah. We love you, Modiphius. Yeah, de- definitely not like every <laughs> RPG that's ever been published, except for the modern ones. But uh, but yeah, uh, that stuff, but also like weirder stuff from Appendix N. So um, Clark Ashton Smith, uh, there's a lot of influence from his writing, uh, the Hyperborea stuff that he wrote. Mm-hmm. Oh, Hyperborea. Um, Yes. And uh, also, there's some uh, Jack, Vance Jack Vance stuff. Yeah. Not ma- Jack, not Vancey and Magic. There's no we're, Vancey. We're and getting Magic to that question. This. Don't you worry. We're getting to Magic questions. Yeah. But no, the um, the Kugel saga and just like that yeah. world of yeah, the dying earth kind of stuff. And, yeah. yeah, all the the weird things that uh, a lot of the weird things he puts in there. Uh, there's a lot of that reference. There's a lot of. Um, a lot of Fritz Liber, or I never remember if it's Liber or Liber. I think it's Liber. I always hear Liber, Liber yeah. I, I, I guess I'm wrong. Maybe the Germans, with Germans are probably no better. I actually <laughs> got uh, Fritz Liber's uh, first book as an audiobook last night. I started reading it, um, a real copy, and a, or my Kindle copy, and I was like, I, I need to, I need to listen to this. I think, like, I just need to experience mm-hmm. it with. I don't know. So I've been listening to that. It's been a lot of fun. Side tangent. Anyway, back to you. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was a big uh, influence. The um, yeah, the Fafford and Grey Mauser and Lankmar. There's basically a city in my setting. That's a, a riff on, on Lankmar. A lot of the ideas mm-hmm. from Lankmar uh, and um, oh, and Lovecraft, but specifically Lovecraft's dream cycle stuff, mm. which is very weird and interesting. Basically like, if you've ever tried to read the dream quest of unknown Kadath, which I don't know if I'd recommend it. Like it's really <laughs> a slog, uh, but that entire story is basically just a setting document. It's not really a story. It's just like, here are the dreamlands and we're going to go through 
all of them and, and tell you, them. yeah, and describe them in <laughs> no story. excruciating detail. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like the it's divine just, comedy in a way, where it's like, oh, just gonna, it is a little bit like that. Yeah. Yes, um, like it's a story, but it really is just like, and now my tour guide's going to take me to this <laughs> level of hell, and so yeah. a, a a travelogue. They, travelogue. It is very much a travelogue. Um, so so yeah, that's in terms of genre. If you like that kind of stuff, um, and my other big thing was. Um, uh, all a lot of the pulp authors, all of the pulp authors were like you know like straight white men, which nothing wrong with that. Uh, but I I brought in a bunch of authors from different parts of the world, uh, from the different sort of cultural perspectives and stuff, and I basically was like, hey, read these pulp stories, look at the sword and sorcery and the weird fiction genre in general, and give me your take based on your cultural experience on a story within this genre. And the the book has a bunch of short stories in it that are written by different authors, and they are that. There are those different takes. Um, and a lot of the setting material uh, was came from them as well that they helped to work on. So it's like that kind of interesting spin of what if we had very different people writing pulps. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I think if, if that's something that interests you, if you like the pulps and you want a different spin on them, uh, there's the setting is that right. So if that's something that you think would be cool, there's a lot of that in this book. <laughs> so, and then I guess I just want to ask about the, the, first of all, the title and then the setting as a whole, because you are getting a setting with these mechanics. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, what, what is a Zag or am I, is, it's gotta be, we thought it was an acronym, but we were yeah. trying to figure out what it was. It is not. I just wanted to capitalize it. Cause I thought it looked good capitalized in that font. <laughs> Um, it's a good font. It was it was purely a font choice. Um, yeah, uh, the uh, I was looking. So this is like very Bronze Age, right? I think a lot of the Conan stuff is technically Iron Age, but there's a lot of references to Bronze Age stuff in it. So I was like, oh, I should make this Bronze Age. I'll do that. So I'm looking up Bronze Age civilizations and things when I'm doing research initially for the setting in the book. Uh, and Sumeria comes up like you do when you're looking up Bronze Age <laughs> Old things. civilizations, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I was looking up their pantheon and their deities, and there is a demon called uh, Azag or Azag because it's spelled either A-S-A-G or sometimes A-Z-A-G. Uh, and it's this, I read the description of it, I think it was on like Wikipedia or something, but it's like a god or a demon that was so horrible as to be indescribable. And at the time I was also reading Lovecraft stuff and I was like, this sounds like the most Lovecraft shit I've ever heard. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, so I was like, okay, so I stole the name of that. A Sumerian uh, demon. I, we would not have guessed that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I stole the I stole the name of that, and I used that for one of the patrons. Uh, for those who are familiar with Fritz, your boy Fritz and his Lankmar stuff, um, uh, Sh- uh, Shilab and Ningobble, uh, Ningobble of the Seven Eyes, who is definitely a beholder in a trench coat, um, <laughs> is. Uh, <laughs> Look it up. There's people have done images on it <laughs> online. It's 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 true. Um, but anyway, the uh, the way they do patrons in that are not the way we think of them in five E patronage. Like actually, kind of, but not exactly. The idea that there are these um, uh, otherworldly entities, probably alien, 
uh, that are extremely powerful and know how to use all this magic. And people who want to learn magic will come to them and then be taught by them or be gifted magic from them. Uh, so yeah, actually kind of a lot like the yeah, 5e warlock, uh, warlock patron. patrons. <laughs> uh, but uh, I was like, oh, okay, I want to put otherworldly beings in the setting. Uh, so Azag is one of them. And they basically function in that way. They have cults and they you know, will teach magic to, to those foolish enough to seek them out. Uh, and then the other patron that's talked a lot about in the book is Zithagwa, who is a joke, or not a joke, but like a reference to uh, uh, Thesagwa, the Clark Ashton Smith deity <laughs> um, from uh, the Hyperborean stories. So those are the two that get talked about a lot in the book. And the cover of the book has Azag, the, a statue of Azag is the, is the thing that a bunch of people are worshiping on the cover of the book total sense Very total cool. sense now <laughs> um, um so what is this uh, yeah so the, there are a lot of inspirations in this uh but mm -hmm. uh is there a starting city is there a uh what kind of a world have you built uh i didn't want to have a starting location per se i just gave a bunch of cities and i'm like here's okay. uh here are plot hooks that you can generate or here's like npcs that can be in any of these locations regionally split among them. Uh, and then here's plot hooks that can be associated with them. And then here's like traveling encounters in all of these locations. So wherever you want to, if you're a game master, wherever you want to plop your players in the world, you should be able to just flip to that part of the book and just generate a bunch of stuff that is in flavor for that section of the world. Um, so it should be either sparking, able to spark your imagination mm -hmm. in terms of further plot, or just like, you know, run some run some stuff right off the bat with that uh but uh the world is very much you know like you'd see in a conan like it's like hyboria very similarly weirder uh or like a combination of hyboria and the dreamlands so you have uh pockets like city states pockets of civilization again bronze age level um, lots of ruins of like old fallen dynasties, you know, classic to most fantasy RPG settings. Uh, so you can have like dungeons to explore and uh, big like wastelands that are super dangerous and like really verdant jungles full of dinosaurs. There's a lot of dinosaurs in this book um, that uh, that'll eat you and, uh, you know, other inhospitable climates. There's a big glacier that's slowly crawling south and a big uh, tundra in front of it that you can explore and stuff like that. So, so yeah, it's definitely the, that kind of sword and sorcery setting where it's like you're, you're either in a civilized place that's very sort of decadent or you're in the wilderness. And those are basically the two mode. And that, and that wilderness is dangerous. Yes, like, very, very dangerous. For your game, just a couple of things off the top of my head. If I'm a dungeon master thinking about presenting it to my group, do I? would you say this is a game that's good for three to four players, two players, 17 players? Do you feel like it's a lot of theater of the mind? Do you feel like this is going to be a big, we're going to get maps and do minis? Um, the the so Azag was... epic of nine tables all playing the same campaign. Yes, wow. we have rules for uh, that. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't play test for 17 players, but maybe <laughs> go give it a try. Uh, I mean, I was thinking traditional RPG group size. So okay. like three to six, whatever. Um, whatever your table is comfortable with. The uh, What was the other thing you had asked? Uh, Theater of the mind versus yes. more physical 
stuff to use. Yeah, so this was designed with Theater of the Mind in mind. Uh, <laughs> there are no exact measurements for anything. The yeah, distance that's... system is uh, close, near, far, uh, sort of the spheres of distance that, you know, is not an idea original to me, but I used it for this because I think it's a very good one, where it's either something that is adjacent to you, so within melee range, or something that uh, you could move to in a round, or something that you can see, but they're, like, pretty far off, you'd have to use a ranged weapon, or you, like, next round you'd be able to move to them if you spent the entire round running towards them. Uh, and, yeah, and I have weight and size kind of in a similar way so we don't have specific uh weights for things but we just kind of have like oh it's light or it's moderately heavy or something like that what about gameplay uh, is we have always claimed that 5e is very combat heavy c- mm. mechanics so it pushes many of the styles that you might have and play into combat though i know Many people will play mysteries or they'll play romances or they'll play whatever else they want. Do you feel like your rules push the game in any direction? Uh, I'm glad you asked that question and I'm glad you have that mode of thought because I also subscribe to that school of thought as a designer, right? That if, if you're writing a game, if you put a lot, if you spend a lot of pages on fighting, you are explicitly telling the people playing the game that they're supposed to fight because that's like what the rules are in the game. Uh, so I uh, thought a lot about that while I was designing this. So if you flip through the book, the combat section is one page, but then social encounters is the exact same amount. It's also a full page. Uh, and there are rules I've made for that. So combat is like, it's simpler than like 5e, right? It's pretty boiled down. You're basically getting in there. You're It's the top of the round. Say what you want to do everyone acts depending on the action that they're taking and certain actions just take longer than others. Like casting a spell takes longer than firing an arrow or whatever. So then you get initiative order implicitly by just the people saying what they're doing. And then you're basically either just making a role where you're trying to get under a DC, like I was talking about earlier with the 2d6 system, or you're doing an opposed role. And that's pretty much it um, in terms of core mechanic for that. And if you're getting into a social encounter, Uh, I created a whole system that is based off of uh, gambling, basically. Uh, You're rolling, you're determining what your enemies or your opponent's disposition is. Uh, This is something that I sort of stole from Daniel Sells Troika, where he has this thing called Mean, where it's a a D6 list uh, associated with every monster. And it's like they're different different modes of thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, So with my uh, social interaction system, you determine how much your uh, opponent uh, likes you or not, or like how they're feeling towards you. And then that determines how big their die is. And then you roll against them, they roll against you, but you keep those numbers hidden. Like when you're um, gambling, right? People are drawing cards off the deck and they're keeping their cards hidden from each other. Uh, And then you choose to ante by having the players be like, I want to... Uh, I'll tell the monster or I'll tell that my opponent uh, that I'll do this extra thing for them, or I'll sweeten the deal by like offering them an item or some choice piece of information or something. Uh, And that allows you to add a die to your pool and you roll it, but that die gets placed out front and center. So everyone knows what that role is. And then the enemies get to do that too. And then after everyone's had a chance to ante, 
everyone looks at the dice and it's like, here are the dice you can see and how good those rolls are. But then there's also these dice you can't see. Do you want to double down and go through this in, in another round? Or do you want to reveal and see who won the social encounter? Uh, and uh, it, it was very good. Like the playtesting was extremely positive. I was really happy about it. And it's very different from the way combat works, but it's still a very deep and satisfying system. Very cool. Kind of reminds so. me of like Liar's Dice, I think, when I played it uh, during the playtest. Mm. Um, where, where, where you have like hidden numbers and you're trying to feel out the room. And then, but you've added on this extra thing where I can be like, hey, what if I, because uh, specifically the adventure that I played when we playtested was. Uh, I think we were trying to get into a building and there was a bouncer and it was like, what if I sweeten the deal with like five gold? And, and then it's like, oh, okay. And so we were going through that, that uh, scenario and it was kind of fun. So, yeah. well, I shouldn't say kind of fun. It was fun. <laughs> I was, it was uh, interesting yeah, was... and new to me. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I was well, really happy. That kind of pushes you one way or the other is how tough or how weak the character is. So if you look at an OSR game, Everything's dangerous. You lose characters. That's why you have a handful of them. Mm-hmm. Versus D&D, you have a superhero who more than likely takes a miracle to knock those guys down for the most part. Although, obviously, we've heard of some TPKs and they're out there. I've lost some characters, but it's hard or you have to do something terrible to, to happen. Where do you think you sit in the scale with Azag as far as the world being lethality towards the players and the characters they're playing? Uh, the way I tried to do it was I tried to make it like a, a like a seesaw. Uh, one of the things I told to to players is that this is a very resource heavy game because like the uh, I mean we'll talk about magic earlier, but the way magic works, you spend hit points to cast spells basically, yes. uh, and you also have a stat called luck. Basically, fighting fantasy has three stats: skill, uh, stamina, and luck, uh, and you spend luck and stamina for a lot of different things in the game. So you're constantly being like, oh, I can get through this situation if I just spend a bunch of luck. But that means the next time I run into the situation, it's going to be way harder because I don't. (laughs) Yeah, because I don't have that resource to spend. Uh, So I also built in all these mechanics for like role playing stuff and end of session stuff where it's like your luck gets recharged in a lot depending on different things you can do. So you're constantly bouncing back and forth uh, session to session. Right. And you're just trying to manage those resources and figure it out. So if you're uh, trying to just blitz through stuff, you will die. There, there's no, uh, you will just run out of resources and then get killed. Uh, and it's another reason why I tried to make there be that really detailed encounter uh, mechanic for negotiating with monsters and other uh, NPCs and stuff uh, to be like, okay, here's other options. So you don't have to just rush into combat. You can take your time. Uh, oh, and all the monsters, even the mindless ones, uh, or the you know animal intelligence ones. Like I said, there's a lot of dinosaurs in this game. <laughs> uh, there's uh, they all also have disposition charts uh, that are mostly things like uh, you know evasive, hungry, <laughs> like territorial stuff like that. Uh, so when you're in a social encounter with something that can't talk to you, you can still have a social encounter, but it's like the kind of thing where you're sort of trying to like soothe a savage animal or something like that. That's how that, that stuff is meant to play. Um, so you can do stuff like that and avoid fighting things by just being like, I, I'm going to give this dinosaur, you know, meat or try to, you know, um, uh, 
convince it in some way that there's like easier prey somewhere else. Um, and that's all kind of wrapped up in the social encounter stuff and you can avoid uh, getting eaten. So you could easily have a, I stumble upon a dinosaur and your group could be like, I want to attack it. And then that one person's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, what if we just throw some food over there? And then they're like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. And then all of a sudden you've changed that combat into a social encounter. And then everybody does, they contribute to that social encounter. It's not like I'm the bard Mm -hmm. and I roll persuasion. And now the social encounter's done. Like everybody has a piece to it, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that's how the anti-system is supposed to work, where you come up with your narrative thing that you're doing, and that gives you dice to add to the pool, and that's Mm -hmm. how you contribute. Uh, But it's also like you come across a dinosaur, and then everyone's like, well, what is it doing? And then the DM rolls the dinosaur's disposition, and they're like, oh, this dinosaur, they're they're just like, they're tired. They're like getting, they're like at their nest. They're getting ready to sleep. And then the party might be like, oh, okay, well, if we wanna like, have a positive social interaction with them, we probably could because they're like very chill right now. Um, Or we can try and sneak around them. Or if we want to try and sneak attack them, we could, but we have all of those options because now we understand like how the animal is feeling about stuff. Yeah. So spending resources is big, which I really like. And I I love the idea we talked about. You make a fantasy game, so you got to deal with at some point magic and you've got all these different styles that are out there. We're all familiar with Vancian and then mana points or you know, all the different types out there. We know you're talking about you have to use your hit points to cast your spells, but how much thought, how much back and forth did you go? Or did you really narrow in on the magic you wanted right away? Or was it a hard decision picking the route you were going to go with your magic? Uh, you know, it was, it was sort of easy uh i was definitely influenced by obviously advanced fighting fantasy the way magic works in that is you uh there's a list of spells and they're all pretty straightforward they're like your really standard fantasy fair like um magic lock or invisibility or teleport or lightning bolt or whatever um and they're they they're separated into categories that are basically levels and each level has uh, a different stamina cost associated with it. And the higher the level it is, the higher the stamina cost is. So that all makes sense. And I was looking at that system and I'm like, that's not bad. Uh, but I wanted more flexibility with it. Uh, because in this game, you roll to cast instead of just saying, I cast the spell and it's cast. Uh, which is great because it opens up the possibility for fumbling your spell for critical failures on your spell, which introduces the options for magical mishaps, which are really fun. Uh, and all sorts of crazy stuff can happen there. And I love that. That's like, uh, Jordan, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics and mm-hmm. the role to cast system in that and all the crazy things that that introduces in terms of spell failure. So, uh, and also spell success in terms of getting better spells. Uh, the the but, idea um, that magic is uncontrollable in a way. Yes. Like, so it's very yes. like I can funnel it, but like, yeah, the, the floodgate mm-hmm. might open or I might, you know, burr, 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 and it's just nothing yeah. works. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the system that I ended up going with is uh, an idea of like, okay, you take the spell, you put points into it, uh, and then when you go to cast it, you're rolling. So you're trying to roll under a number on 2d6. And the way you calculate that number is you take your rank in the spell. So if you have like three ranks in it, three, and then you spend an amount of stamina, like any amount you want, and you add that to the threshold. So you could be like, 
I really don't want to screw up casting this spell, so I'm going to add nine points of stamina. I'm going to spend nine stamina and add that to my three and have 12, and then I won't fail at casting the spell, which is totally legitimate, but everyone only has a max of 24 hit points in this game. (laughs) So you're basically like, you're weakening yourself significantly by doing that, but you're not going to screw up the spell. Uh, And then once you actually cast the spell, there's different... um, I, I didn't want to make a spell like the spells that we see in advanced fighting fantasy or that like the spells we see in most D and D like games or fifth edition where it's like, this does set thing and that's it. Uh, I wanted the magic to be way more flexible in like, once you've successfully cast it, you can choose to do different stuff with it. Um, and probably the best example of this is the command elements spell, which is, uh the idea of the spell is you command like an element like fire water air earth um by touching it or getting close to it in the case of fire you don't want to touch that (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and then you cast the spell and you can now control what that element does so you can be like i'm gonna make this fire brighter so i can light a torch right and make it easier to see or i'm gonna make this fire leap from this brazier at an enemy and deal them damage uh and you know if it's stone it's like oh uh, this stone door we're trying to break it down i'm gonna use this spell to make the stone softer so that we can beat down the door easier um And then there's all sorts of other options. There's like a bullet pointed list in that spell that's like, oh, you can also go even further with it and have it do a bigger effect. Like you can make an elemental or you can make like a fireball, essentially like a big burst over a certain radius. Um, But then if you do that, you also have to choose a drawback to whatever you're doing, um, which are things like it takes a really long time for the spell's effects to go off or the spell might affect unintended targets. Uh, yeah, so just trying to like cram as much different possibilities into each spell as I could in the game. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can only choose. So if you only choose a spell or two, you still have a lot of things you can do with your magic. Because there's bullet points underneath the spell. And depending on how well you do, you'll be able to do some things with that. Pretty well, with, interesting. yeah, I mean, it's more that like, depending on how well you know the spell i think for for that specific one uh i think the way i have it written because all of them are like a little different but i think i the way i have that one written is like you can choose positive effects equal to your rank and then you have to choose one negative effect um but yeah so uh, what is a rank in a spell like uh that's just how many points you put into it so when you create your character or something maybe we should talk about leveling or yeah, uh, I'll do. I'll talk about character creation and leveling real quick because it is very yeah. straightforward. But like I said, there's three stats: uh, skill, which is one d three plus three on character creation; uh, stamina, which is two d six plus twelve on character creation; and uh, luck, which is one d six plus six. And that skill point, when you want to learn your abilities, uh, so either things like sword fighting or like a spell or something like that, you basically have a number of points equal to your skill. To put into that stuff um and you just distribute them however you want so you can be like i'll put three points into the spell and now that's my rank in it and that's how okay. that affects how good i am at casting it uh and when you're leveling up uh there's a system uh which i ripped off of uh elder scrolls 
because some of this is video game references. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of Diablo references in this too. Uh, but uh, uh, the idea in Elder Scrolls that the more you use an ability, the better you get at it, right? And I always was very taken with that. So I wanted to try and mechanize that in a tabletop RPG. And the way I did that was whenever you use an ability, you put a tally mark underneath it on your character sheet. And then when you're between adventures, you can roll 1d6 per each ability. And if you mm. get under the tally mark total, you get to increase its rank by one. Okay. That's super awesome because you just described something I struggled with a little bit thinking about what we never have in tabletop RPGs, but we do have in electronic role-playing games is exactly what you just described. The more I swing my sword, the better I get at it. But how am I going to track the number of times I swung my sword successfully in the game? The mm -hmm. AI does that. The computer does that. So it makes sense when you're playing Final Fantasy that eventually you get to rank 97 in Longsword or whatever, or whatever you know, thing you're doing. But we could never really do that in tabletop RPG because how would you keep track of all of that stuff that's going on? But that's kind of a cool, that's kind of at least a cool halfway point that you could attempt to do it. You mm -hmm. know, not simulate it exactly, but pretty close to it. So yeah. Can you do that with weapon ranks and weapon, not just spell ranks? Because spells are very specific. But it'd be cool if you could do it with weapons and stuff too. Yeah, no, totally. That's that's how it works. There's yeah. um, all all abilities you put ranks into the, the same way, essentially. So whenever you use anything. So whenever you swing a sword at something, you get to put a tally mark next to it. Uh, the only thing, and maybe I determined that this wasn't bad because I didn't change it, but the only caveat to that is like, you're probably not casting spells all the time, but mm -hmm. you probably are swinging your sword more often than you're casting a spell, which means if you take like light weapons as an ability, you're probably gonna uh, update that a little faster than you're going to with spells. I want to uh, mention some stuff from YouTube chat here that I've been looking at. Um, they mentioned benders from Avatar, which was not intentional when I was writing that spell, but literally like everyone else on the project pointed that out to me. I'm like, okay, I guess that's what it is. Uh, but it is it is like that. Uh, as someone who's never watched Avatar, The Last Airbender, I don't actually know. Again, not intentional, but yes, I did remake that basically. Um and yeah, and Burning Wheel. Someone mentions Burning Wheel. Uh, there was a little bit of Burning Wheel um, inspiration on that. When I was when I was looking at Elder Scrolls and video games and how they do leveling, I was like, how do we mechanize this in a game? And I was talking to one of my co-authors about it. And he was like, oh, I've read Burning Wheel. They have a system for doing that. And we looked at it and I was like, I turned to him and I said, well, like with, with most things in Burning Wheel, this is too complicated. But <laughs> maybe we could find a way to uh, simplify this. Uh, and I also took some cues from Burning Wheel in terms of there's some role play mechanics in this where when you make your character, you, uh, you create personality traits uh, using like always or never statements of like things you do uh, or things you are prone to do. And then you will uh, be able to regen your character's luck and stamina uh between sessions and between between yeah between sessions uh depending on how much you role play towards your character's traits that you create for them um so just trying to mechanize role playing and give reward incentives in the game for role playing to get people to like do it more um and that seemed to work really well i was also very happy with the way that worked so the um uh i just lost my train of thought but 
Do you link the down, players? The downtime then? mechanics you that you were that? talking of? Um, downtime. There you go. No, well, uh, and I guess it's not specifically downtime, but like you were saying that you regenerate your luck and stuff uh, mm-hmm. on a on a, on downtime. So it's like we completed our adventure, we're in the city, and then you're like, how do you spend this week? Is that kind of how it works? And yeah, kind follow of. up is like, does it uh, also is that something you do away from the table? Like, like as we we finish our game, and then do we all hop on Discord over the week and kind of talk about what we're gonna do before the next game? <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it's encouraged that you talk to at least your game master about it. But the section for uh, between adventures is when you get to uh, potentially level up your ranks and your abilities. Um, but also there's a whole section that's like, do you want to change traits based on what happened in the previous adventure? Do you think mm-hmm. your character is different now in some kind of way? So you can change those. Uh, and there's a thing that's like, do you want to learn a new ability? Uh, and the idea is that if you're going to learn a new ability, that's going to be a narrative thing that happens between adventures. So you tell your DM, like, I want to learn this spell because, like, on the adventure, I don't know, I found a spell book or something, or we had, or we like beat up this wizard that could cast the spell, and I was like intrigued by their magical abilities. Mm-hmm. So I want to learn this spell. And then there's a, a pretty short system in place for like the GM rolls on a table. And that determines what the price you paid for learning this new ability was. And there are things like, oh, you learned like forbidden knowledge that no one wanted you to have. So you're cursed. And now your luck is like permanently lower. Um, Or like you learned, uh, you went to someone and they taught you this thing. um, And you are now in their debt. So at some point during the next adventure, this NPC or like an NPC is supposed to show up and be like, hey, you know, you owe me for this thing. So gotcha. uh, if you want to do this thing, you, you want to do this job for me? The classic thing is like I learned, you know, backstab or stealth from a thieves guild. And now uh-huh. you're indebted to this thieves guild. And the next adventure, they're going to like have to come up in some way. Okay. Um, so trying awesome. to marry the narrative with the mechanical in in some interesting ways there that was my goal but that's yeah that's how that works <laughs> i like it um i am for those of you on youtube i'm gonna cover up my face oh. uh with no. uh the pdf here because <laughs> i just wanted to show <laughs> the actual like cover um so people could see it but because i think it's really cool um but yeah uh, sorry, Lucian, I think I interrupted you, but you had a question. Go no, ahead. that's okay. I was going to try to fill in until you figured your thought out. But yeah, you're talking about character creation. One thing that do the tires, do the characters get tied together during character creation, a la Powered by the Apocalypse styles games, Burning Wheel style games, or do you leave it more up to the, the, the Game Master, Dungeon Master? Or what do you call your game referee? Uh, I just call it Game Master, Game Master because that's what I'm used to using. Like okay. that or DM or GM. And I was like, well, I, I don't think you can use you Dungeon Master. in there? I didn't put Judge. I don't think judge. you can use no. DM, like, which is <laughs> yeah. weird how open, uh, the open game license and the, the you know, SRD and stuff. But DM is still like, no, no, no. <laughs> like we no, own no. that. <laughs> you can't use Beholder and you can't yeah. use DM, okay? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, the... Uh, the, the groups are tied together in a way that I think is also sort of inspired a bit by Burning Wheel. Uh, when you're making your character traits, the thing after that in character creation is group dynamic. 
and you you basically talk to the other people at the table and are like, what does our group like do? How do we interact with each other? Um, either in good ways or bad ways. And then the book gives some examples farther in. And the one that I would always use during playtesting is the prime example is like, oh, we really like pulling cons. <laughs> and that's like the thing that our group likes to do. Uh, and yeah, the the idea is assuming your, you, your group plays to that dynamic, um, that also allows you to regenerate stats between sessions. So if I'm a player, right, and I love everything you're talking about, I bought your book, now I want to convince my DM we should play it. If a player looks at this, the thing that jumps to their mind are what are my character classes? What can I play? What themes can I build in your game? So what do you give them at least to to get their imagination really flowing in what they can create that they might go convince their dungeon master or their game master to run a game for them. Uh, well, this is a class-less system. Here and also go. the way I described uh, character advancement is also level-less, right? You just mm-hmm. get better at stuff by doing it. Uh, so you can mix and match any number, well, not any number, but any uh, combination of abilities that you'd like. So if you want to be someone who's really good at uh, using swords and and also commanding elements, you want to be you want to be an airbender who also <laughs> uses swords all the time. Uh, you could easily do that. I can do. Uh, and uh, the way that I kind of tried to give examples of that is in the short fiction that is featured in the book. Uh, between each of the chapter sections, there's like a short story, and they're like a page long, right? But uh, Every one of them gives an example of like the characters in them are characters you could make in the game. And that's mostly because like the short fiction in the world is the stuff that was made first. And uh, like my co-authors brought that short fiction in, and then I went and mechanized a bunch of the stuff that was in those stories. So like, um, uh, what are some good examples? So I have uh, a list and if you can oh, convince sure. me, I'm going to go buy your game if I yeah. can make some of these or any of these. Okay. Can I make a summoner type character who loves having a pet of some type fight for them or fight with them or be a part of their their being if it's classless? Sure. Uh, there is an ability for it's effectively animal handling. It's like it's I think it's called animal sense, but it's the mm-hmm. thing that allows you to have really good social encounters with animals. And be like, oh, I, I'm really good at interacting with animals, right? Sure. So you take that. Uh, and then in terms of summoning, you know, there aren't any straight up like creature summoning spells in the game. Okay. The closest you get is the elemental one where you can create, you can basically summon an talking. elemental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where you can you where That's you can good. summon an elemental. I want that because I want that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want that. But okay, I, you're so picky, Lucian. I am. I'm, I'm going to give them some just because yeah. this is the type of how I choose a game sure. is what player I could play. You know, what what kind of character could I play? Mm-hmm. Could I play a knight mounted lance, you know, lance or spear, very, very martial, very heavy armored, sure. um, lots of kind of physical attack stuff to him. Mm-hmm. So that would probably be you'd want to do... Um, uh, there is an armor specialist ability that allows you to basically, you can always wear any kind of armor you want, but the armors have um, 
a die that is both your damage reduction die, but it's also the die that you roll when you're trying to like sneak in that armor. So heavy armor has a bigger die, which is great for better damage reduction, but then it makes it harder to sneak. Uh, and the armor specialization uh, ability basically says, hey, when that die would be applied in a negative scenario, make it a smaller die type, um, depending on your rank in this ability. Uh, so that would be worth taking. Maybe animal sense if you want to be really good with a mount and again be able to like oh, interact with them the in, in good ways. Like uh, and uh, heavy weapons or um, two hand. I can't remember what it's called because I don't have a PDF in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> but the but the the heavy weapons ability, uh, which basically allows you to have um, uh, be really good with heavy weapons in combat. And there's a each of the different weapon things has a sub ability, like something that requires the 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 weapon ability to take it. And for heavy weapons, it's sunder. So if assuming that you are really good with heavy weapons and you have that, you can then take sunder. And then when you're in combat and you're hitting people with that heavy weapon, you can do a special little you know sub mechanic where you get to try to degrade the weapon or the armor that they're using. Oh, you're talking my language right now. All right. Every good game, can I make a good ranger, a good Legolas kind of template, sharpshooting, long-range bow user, crossbow user, magical cool thing user that shoots from long-range ranger type person? For sure. I mean, there's obviously ranged weapons as an ability. The sub thing of that, the specialization, is called shot. So when you want to make... Uh, a precise shot. You will, like want to shoot someone in the eye. There's like uh, a mechanic in the combat section that says like, oh, th- this is how your role is more difficult when you want to do a special attack like that. Um, the the thing for uh, archery uh, or ranged weapons, uh, call shot is like, hey, this is when you try and do this is easier because you have taken this ability. Uh, so there's that. Uh, there is an ability called wayfinding which is whenever you are traveling through an area, there's a whole I have, there's a whole system for traveling that uh, oh. gives you all these different encounters and stuff. Uh, and when you're traveling through an area, you roll to see how like good or bad your encounter is. And if you have wayfinding, that roll is just you get a bonus to it. So you awesome. can uh, potentially avoid bad traveling scenarios when you're going through uh, areas. And uh, bonus points for a spell. There is a spell called Essence Siphon, which uh, is worded in a very specifically vague way, which is you take uh, life force from a living thing and transfer it to another living thing. So uh, I think a lot of people would read that and be like, oh, it's like vampire touch, whatever. I can just drain life from a, from a monster. But it says living thing. And uh, in playtesting, I did encourage like grab a tree and just suck the life force out of it and heal yourself or something else. Uh, or if you're like, oh, if you're a ranger or a druid type character, if you're like, oh, nature is dying here, you can actually channel your own life force into it and heal nature with that spell. So you kind of get around it. I was about right, to say, this one's the last you, one. Oh, do you want a dark sun? Because this is how you get a dark sun. <laughs> this is how you get a dark sun. Yes, exactly. <laughs> last one. This one could be yes or no. And then I want you to tell me where to go buy this. Sure. Can I do? Can I be a necromancer? You know what? Unfortunately, oh no, that's yes. a no. There's oh, no spell no. for there's no spell for raising the dead. But I will what? say that <laughs> part of that is because I was running out of time when I was <laughs> the magic stuff. The supplement that's coming, right? Yes, You're no, the I, second. 
I really want to make a supplement that has like like uh, evil ritual magic in it at some point. Yes. Uh, and necromancy would be a thing that's in demon there. That summoning. and like demon summoning. So it'd be like uh, Lex Mandrake's Guide to Everything and it'll have some extra classes. Yeah. And All right, Lex, I'm ready to buy it. I know Jordan already bought it. Lucian had not bought it yet. So all my questions came from not seeing anything. I was not biased in any way. Sure. But I'm ready to buy it now. I'm ready to go. So where am I going to go? Uh, you are going to go to Bandcamp. Bandcamp. Never been there before. I dot can com. put it in our chat if you're interested yeah. here. <laughs> so yeah, Bandcamp.com. Yeah. You're sending me uh, crazy places. Okay. Yeah, and you can either you can either search Azag or you can search. Let's do uh, Azag. Let's see what happens. Yeah, or you could search uh, Dank Dungeons if you wanted. It, so you're either searching it's for the, the album. It's the second one. The so the first one comes up as Asgal because they're oh, probably whatever. popular. Yeah. And then number two by Loot the Body, right? Yeah, yep. As Ag, that's the, that's the, the body. Um, Five so tracks, you, 43 minutes. Oh, yep. look at that cover. Yeah, Ooh. no, it's cool. Uh, so Who did the you artwork either, on that? Save that artist. That is so good. Louis Mello, uh, Party in the Front, I think is his uh, website. Uh, he is a Portuguese artist, and his he does a bunch of video game-related stuff. Like, he has a whole series of Dark Souls pieces. He has mm-hmm. a whole series of Metroid pieces. He has a Street Fighter poster that he made, and it's... So Holy good. crap, that artwork would have sold me had I saw that. I should have went and looked at it. I, I wanted to come into the whole interview not knowing anything because I knew I would ask really good questions if I did. Mm. Man, that would have sold me right there. That should be right on the... That should be... <laughs> Forget all of that writing that took months wow. and months and months. That picture. <laughs> this artist. <laughs> but you do have some great art, on the Lex. Cover it's of the really book. beautiful stuff in there. Um, put that on the cover. Uh, I was showing yeah, a bunch of the, the art on the YouTube channel, and it's just yeah. really good. So Okay, so I'm at the page. How do I buy it? Uh, buy digital album is how you get that. Uh, and a lot of people buy get a little confused. Album. So so there is this, one of the things I didn't mention earlier, but this game has a musical component, like The Shifting mm-hmm. City did. Yeah. Uh, I went to Loot the Body, uh, Levi of Loot the Body, who has made some amazing albums. Uh, the Expedition to the Barrier Peaks songbook, I highly recommend, it's amazing. Awesome. Uh, but yeah, he does psychedelic rock. And I was like, you know what? weird fiction makes me think of like Lovecraft's dreamlands makes me think of like psychedelic rock. So I um, asked him if he wanted to do a soundtrack. It's funny. His initial answer was like, man, this sounds really cool, but I'm too busy. I can't do it. Uh, (laughs) And then a week later he was like, you know what? I'm really busy, but I just want to do it. So I'm going to do it. I was like, nice. All right. Um, So I'm clicking digital album. Yeah, uh, I will name. say. Go ahead. I I will say real quick. If you don't want to buy the album, if you just want to buy the game, uh, you can go to itch.io and search Azag or Dank Dungeons, mm-hmm. uh, and download just the game. And it's a little cheaper on Itch. It's ten dollars, and on Bandcamp it's twelve. So well, it says name your price. So it sounds like I can. I think put you have to do twelve dollars or higher to yes, get it's, right? it's the, <laughs> Well, that's the, what I mean. Like the I music can give a and the thing. So it says yeah. twelve or more. So yeah. I could I could put in here twenty dollars if I want. If you want, I'm not going to force you to do anything, but <laughs> I would be happy to receive twenty dollars. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, add so you, to cart. $20. Yeah, nice. Here we go. All right. Um, and uh, and as a note for those people who are buying it over Bandcamp, because I get this question often, uh, the PDF will be in the folder that the music is in. So you'll get like a zipped file and you when you unzip it, it'll be like, here's the album folder and the PDF will be in there. Uh, if it's not, email me and I'll get it to you, but it should be. <laughs> Any, uh, uh, if, if you make updates to the PDF, um, are those reflected in Bandcamp and itch as well? Yep. So okay. yeah, I uh, so I could really... re-download it later to get the updated mm-hmm. version if you do make some changes. 
yeah, like the week that I the weekend that I put it out, uh, it was not uh, word searchable because that was one of those things that I just didn't have time to do it. And I really wanted to meet the deadline uh, and it didn't have any chapter links in it. Uh, so like several days later, I got around to doing that and then okay. I updated the files. Cool. So so, yeah, there and at some point I want to make a character sheet for it. That's like the only thing I haven't gotten to yet that I want to do. Can they get um, print copies? Can you do you have a place to get printed out? So, yes, Full that color? is the other question I've gotten a lot, a lot? which are okay. there physical copies of this game. And the answer right now is no, unfortunately. Uh, there's no print-on-demand thing for Itch or Bandcamp, but I am looking into it. I'm trying to figure out whether I want to do a limited print run myself and put them up on those p- places or if I want to uh, contact a publisher and see if they will do a print run for me uh and that is something i'm looking into so we'll see yeah i, would I, love I don't know on um, shelf. i actually don't know much about that but i know like drive through rpg would do it um but you're mm-hmm. you're hosting this on itch so i'm not really sure what the rules are there uh yeah forth, i but. don't think i don't think drive through rpg cares if you publish it both places i've actually been thinking of because they up do on print on demand, and I really like their print on demand products. So <laughs> yeah, they're good. I've yeah. gotten a couple things from them that are they're pretty solid. But no, there is a. Um, uh, I'm thinking of using, like I said, doing it myself, going to my local copy shop because they do a good job with stuff, and I want to you know support the local business. Um, but there's also a uh, distributor that I just I thought they were just a distributor, and that you had to supply them with physical stuff. But I just find found out that they also do printing. And I am looking into talking to them and That's seeing cool. if they are interested. Well, let the show know. So if that goes live, we'll, we want to tell everybody and I want to get one. So that's really cool. So yes, I, I will button. definitely let you know. Here we go. Purchased one person Thank you. right here live. Uh, <laughs> Thank you so yeah, much we'll have for to do it. a Saturday morning D&D show at night sometime uh, where Lex plays. <laughs> Saturday night D&D show. Definitely. Yeah. Oof. I need to make an adventure. That's my next big thing for this. After the character sheets, I'm like, I really need to publish an adventure. That yeah, would be a good be idea. Um, good. I love right. it. Lex, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, please, everybody, go check out Azag. It's actually, it's really cool. Like, I really, I was really excited about it, um, and it's a lot of fun. The art's cool. Uh, it's a great concept. Uh, and it's, Support I don't know, I just like designers. the stuff that you make. Uh, yeah. uh, I was talking to our all-mutual friend, LB Hackamup, and uh, for some, this was a while ago, but we were talking about um, Azag because I think it was coming out. And I was like, I just like the worlds Lex creates. Like, I think we have mm-hmm. like a, like you write the kind of things that I always want to play in. Like when you made Shifting mm-hmm. City, I was like, that's awesome. And like, this is very similar. So it's super cool. I love it. Uh, nice. Yeah. So you can find Lex at Dank Dungeons uh, on the Twitters and uh, the YouTubes and all that other stuff. There's wait, a really wait. cool. What's next for Lex? Yeah, what is next? What's in the I future? Well, besides Lex, character, tell us exactly. Uh, What's in the future? I, I am planning more uh, system agnostic zines. Uh, two specifically, um, one that is horror themed for modern games, uh, like you know mystery type games, like your Monster <laughs> of the Week or or your uh, modern Call of Cthulhu. Uh, I'm playing that. I'm planning one that's going to be fun and silly as well because I really want to make a fun and silly thing. Uh, and I am also planning another a return to the DMs Guild. I want to do a DMs Guild release, and I'm putting together a team for that to make a setting book uh, for a Forgotten Realms location that people have not explored very much, and I want to do a book on. Wow, I, there's this guy uh, 
George something that knows a lot about Forgotten Realms. Oh yeah, he, I mean he doesn't know how to spell his name right, but he I think he's, but he he's seems really like he's pretty knowledgeable. <laughs> <laughs> you should. Thanks for coming out. Uh, <laughs> we'll see you guys. Uh, Former oh, any- friend of the show. <laughs> um, anything else we need to say before we go? Let's head out. Let's get out of here. Let's go. Check it out, guys. It's awesome. Uh, Really excited to have you guys on. Or have you on, Lex. Thank you so much. Uh, We will be back next week with another guest. Two guests back to back. It's going to be crazy. Um, So follow us on the Twitters for more information about that. And, of course, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, And thank you guys so much. We will see you next week with another episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. Goodbye.